welcome to The Family of Things, our podcast series about life and how we live it. I'm Helen Shaw and in this episode I'm with a filmmaker, Frank Berry, a man who makes films of social realism in the style, you might say, of folks like Ken Loach. Stories which come from the lived experience of people, particularly young people, growing up often in working class suburbs of Dublin like Ballymun and Tala. Documentary films like Ballymun Lullaby, giving voice to young people at the tearing down of the Ballymun flats. And then a drama telling the challenging story of young people touched by suicide. And more recently, the compelling Michael Inside, the story of a young man caught up in the labyrinth quicksand of the Irish prison system. Now, Frank, I know you've spent a lot of your life, a big part of your life, teaching and working with young people. And what I find really curious in looking at your work, and particularly this body of work that you've now produced, which is so impressive and speaks for itself, but it brings me back to where you come from, because in, in a sense, these are grim stories sometimes of harsh realities, particularly Michael inside and, you know, looking at the stories of people who sometimes are growing up in environments where they seem to be without hope. But where did you grow up? Because it doesn't often seem to me that that's your background. No, I grew up in Foxfield in Rohini. So um, the three films I've made so far, they're Dublin films. Uh, both my parents are actually from the West. They, my mum is uh, from Castlebar. My dad is from Westport. They moved to Dublin in the 60s. So, you know, my my first film that went into cinemas was Ballymun Lullaby. Uh, Ballymun was a was a neighbouring community to ours, but we never went in there. It had a, a very bad name at the time. And I grew up looking at the towers. The towers. And that was, it was kind of a terrifying image, you know. So as I got older, it became more curious about my city and about these preconceived notions that would have been around at the time and so I you know I think in my films I probably just want to explore more about those things. I think that's interesting in a sense north side but middle class and probably having that sense that you could have ignored all of those realities that were on our doorstep and I was curious about that what brought you into being curious about those lives but also almost feeling a sense of mission around them. I mean, was it becoming a teacher? Very possibly, yes. It's hard to really pinpoint how I found my way into filmmaking. Uh, it st probably starts with my education. I didn't particularly have a very happy second level education experience. So I didn't get a very good leaving cert. I was kind of demoralized by, by that whole experience, to be honest. And I did want to go to college, but my school was telling me, no, that's not really the path for you. My reference from school would have said Frank would have no problems finding work. But my mum was obviously a really key figure in my, in my development and she was always trying to get me onto a course. And I did a course in Crumlin called The Young Communicator. It's called Kevin's College now. But uh, I met amazing teachers there. And I went through this period of five or six years where my life just completely turned around uh, through education. And I had teachers who would sit down beside me and would, would ask me who I am. And I started getting distinctions, you know, and my self-image started to change. And then I went from there onto a three-year course in Clash de Dulig. I didn't get into Clash de Dulig the first time I applied. And I went from this one-year portfolio course onto that course. And then that led to a top-up degree in the University of Wolverhampton. Clash de Dulig had a, 
has a relationship with the University of Wolverhampton and I got a degree. And then I came back and did a postgrad in film production in DIT because I was very drawn to that, to, to making films. So after that, I started teaching and I could see a lot of people come through the door that reminded me of myself. So I spent a long time teaching in Clos de Dulig in Kulak and I, and you know, that's, you see a lot, an awful lot of real life there. And I guess in common with Roddy Doyle, who probably would see as a writer that his life as a teacher is completely meshed. I mean, he still teaches in the centre he set up in Fighting Words, that being a teacher and being a good teacher, you have that ability, as those teachers did to you, to really make a difference in someone's life. But also those young people you were meeting in Kulog and Kolosadulik, they were probably bringing you into lives that were outside of your own experience. Absolutely. When you're teaching, you're in, you're in meetings all the time. Your colleagues, everybody's talking about the real world, what's out there. It's all about looking out and trying to bring it back into the classroom. And that's the discussions all the time. When I go out and, and make a film, you're in this bubble of this working environment. And when I'm there, I think, no, the real world is back in, in Clarsha Dulig. And I go back to teaching and, and you're talking about it's a working environment. You're talking about people's lives, real problems, real difficulties, trying to help people, getting a sense of where they are in their artistic journey and in their lives, listening to people. That's the real world, you know? I think it's interesting you talk about teachers and perhaps even individuals who changed your life and who believed in you. It yes. sounds like that there was a moment when somebody really says that point about like, I think you can do this and I can believe in you. And that's what a good teacher, one good adult, Tony Bates always says. Absolutely. Um, a key moment for me was expressing that. I was in DIT. I never thought I'd get into third level. Uh, I was in a class with people. There were arts graduates from Trinity and, you know, and there were UCD and, and, and the different colleges. And, and I was there and I got it. I felt I got in the back door. And I wrote a letter to Christina Murphy. Do you remember Christina yes, Murphy? Yes, I worked with her. Did you? I did, in I, the Irish Times. Yeah, I used to read her articles. I think it was every Wednesday. I used to read her articles. And she really was wonderful. And so I wrote her a letter. She was a wonderful person. Yeah, well, I never met her, but I loved her articles. And I wrote her a letter saying, I'm here now. I'm in DIT and this is all due to further education. And I'm very uh, grateful for that path. And I wanted to tell you about it. And she published it. I didn't know she published it, and it actually was one of her last articles, if not her last, I'm not sure, but, it, but she published she it. She died very young, yeah. Yeah, and, um, and then I went, I went into Claude Julie just to say hi, and Jim Martin, who was the really pivotal person in my own experience there, thought I was coming in to talk about the article, but I didn't even know it was published, and he offered me a job teaching. He said, by the way, I read the article, it's really, really fantastic, and would you like to come in and... and uh, and do a couple of hours. So I hadn't, he wasn't even out of college yet. So I went straight from DIT into teaching. And so that was how it happened for me. So Christina Murphy, God rest your soul, mm. as the grannies would say, made such a difference. Mm. I think it's interesting in what you're describing there, but, but when I watch your films and particularly Michael Inside, the most recent one about a young man ending up, as I say, in this, and I use the word quicksand of the prison system, because you're watching this innocent boy, he looks so young in the beginning, being sucked in to this brutalised, violent world. And you know from the moment the first handcuff goes on him that there is no way back. 
that it's a trap. It become it is this rat trap that he ends up in. It's heartbreaking, and it, it reminded me of seeing something when I was very small, and my mother made me watch it because I grew up in Whitehall, at the other uh, corner of Ballymun and the flats. But my mother made me watch a TV black and white film made by Ken Loach. I didn't know who Ken Loach was at this stage. Cathy Come Home, which is around mm. homelessness in London, I think. And still to this day, I can remember seeing that and being almost really puzzled by what was real mm. and what was drama. Mm. And as somebody who ended up being really immersed in factual documentary, in thinking about that TV piece, which went out in the 60s, and the, that idea of turning real people's stories into docudrama, which Ken Loach, in a sense, became a champion of, and there is a whole British tradition around it. I'm wondering with your work, and particularly where you, where you have emerged now with films like Michael Inside, was that something you were aware of? Were, were you very influenced by people like that or by, by that form of storytelling? Uh, yes, I'm always drawn to the less obvious story and Ken Loach, his films tell the story of, of ordinary people and whenever I watch films or, or I hear stories like that, they always resonate more powerfully with me than the more dramatic stories because I feel like the more dramatic stories are just, they're obviously very, can be very heartbreaking in their own way, but they're, they, you could easily just write them off as a one-off, kind of this extraordinary set of circumstances. It's exceptional. Can you, can you believe this happened, you know? Whereas I've just always moved by these stories that represent more common human experience. And Ken Loach is, was inspired by film traditions before him, the, the, the Czech films, Milos Forman and, and uh, you know, Italian neorealism, I'm sure. And he's changed the landscape of British social realism. And whenever a really great piece of social realism is made, it's, he's, he's, he's mentioned, you know, every era, you know, inspires the next and they change slightly. You know, I think filmmaking has a, a storyteller and a person and a character behind it, you know, so the artistic life resembles a person's life and a person's concerns and, and uh, sympathies and all those things c come into it. So it develops over the years, you know. And the stories that you begin to tell with documentary form, like Ballyman Lullaby, which is a documentary more than a drama, that they're stories based in a place around a period of social change, but it, it also starts to create a sense of a social philosophy, which maybe has become more apparent by films like Michael Inside. I mean, is that something that went hand in hand that that or did the story lead and you made that or how much of a part of what you do is your political approach to life, your social political approach to life? Because when, when we talk about somebody like Ken Loach, we kind of know where we are in his take on the world and his view of society and his politics. I'm wondering from your perspective where that balance is or was it a sense that the stories led and brought you into a place of social commentary? It's hard to know how or, or, or why. I, I, can, I can tell you how, which is I found myself making films, collaborating with community groups and that was just something I was really drawn to. Um, I started, when I left college, I made films that were, well, I had crews, short films, and um, we made a kind of a very low budget TV drama. And uh, 
I felt I was on the road to being a director for hire and I didn't enjoy it and uh, I just didn't. I being a myself. journeyman. Yeah, well, I, I don't want to denigrate that work either, you know, but it just wasn't making me happy. It was making me uh, very unhappy, actually. And so I kind of left that and I was teaching at the same time. I was getting an awful lot from teaching, but I knew that I was really enjoying making these smaller community videos. I had to do them to pay the rent and I got a lot of projects from the Community Links program in DIT. I maintained very good relationships with DIT after I left. And I made a, a lot of these uh, community videos, but I just loved it. It's all I can, it's the only way I can really describe it. I, sitting down with it, with um, with a group of people in a community centre or in a school or a charity, uh, myself and my good friend Kevin Duffy, we would just listen and we would hear what the people were working with want to say. And I felt the job was okay to express this. And it's generally, it's a social message. And I just loved it. And there wasn't a lot of pressure on these projects, you know, really. We made little films and, and every single last one we made, we thought about uh, how to make this one better and how would we approach this film. And when we sat down and showed it uh, to the people, they were always very, very happy with them. So you have given voice to them. Yeah, and we 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 and they, they had a DVD. They could go off now and do screenings and and help raise funding for themselves. And so, a key moment for me was when that work developed into a bigger film, which was Ballymun Lullaby. And I spent two years in Ballymun. I just myself and Kevin, we we just we absolutely loved it. Being around Ron, being around the young people, listening to to, to the message that actually being educated by Ron. So Ron Cooney, who's the teacher there in Ballymun, and someone I know well as well because, as I say, I grew up near there. Knew Ron growing up in music, and. We actually worked on a radio project around the Tower Songs project, which was around the music and the performance that came from the young people and children, David Brophy conducting. And it was amazing to see what Ron Cooney has done in the school there. And I think, as always, it was to see the teenage and now grown-up children who were coming back yes. to work with him, who'd met him when they were in primary school yeah. and he had given them this grow, this love yes. of music by handing them an instrument and starting this open door on being a musician, but also being an, in some ways uh, an artist. But from your perspective, the film becomes Ballyman Lullaby in many ways goes beyond that, that Ron Cooney story because it really becomes, as, it, as the title suggests, a, the story of Ballymun at that moment mm. of change. Yes, we, we were making the film in a similar manner to the way we were making those community videos all those years. And I turned to Kevin and said, well, if we're ever going to make a feature film or, or take this work to a bigger canvas, I suppose, or a different, a bigger story, then this is the story. And I went into Ron and I said, Ron, I'd love to make a bigger film about this. Uh, it was instigated by the building of the music room. The Ballymun Regeneration built a room for him to facilitate what he was doing. And, and I said, OK, well, maybe I'll spend a year here. We'll, go, we'll just follow you for a year. And uh, by spending time there, I just was thinking about Ballymun and listening to the lyrics of that composer, Daryl O'Toole, was workshopping with the young people. And I felt, well, the story, the 40 years of when the towers were built and until the towers came down, how wonderful would it be to tell the story from the hearts of the young people, to tell that story? And it just expanded then. It was a key moment from my filmmaking, that film, because 
having had a very, very unhappy beginning in filmmaking, I found a way of working that was my own in a way. And you could see yourself looking back from the screen when you see the film in some ways. And you're making your own work, really. And so we had a small camera, just the two of us, and it ended up going into a couple of cinemas. So the, the, the two years of, of working with that community in Ballymun was a turning point, you know. that stage you were funding it yourself mm. it's incredibly difficult to make a film at the best of times and it's in a different sphere you are now after the su success of say M Michael inside but at that point part of the risk that happens in owning that story and that vision and making it is that those two years are largely funded by Frank Berry yeah do you know it's a no-brainer really and um, enormous support from Donna, my wife, you know, it's her decision too. And you feel like when you have an idea and you know you're ready to, to do it actually is, is the key. And then you're, you're going out and you're filming and, and the tapes are burning in your pocket. You can't wait to see what, what, what you got, you know. It's not even a decision. You just, you feel you, you have to do it, you know. And I think you shouldn't really make any film unless you're obsessed really a little bit by it. And that was the case with Ballyman Lullaby. I was totally and utterly enamored by Ron Actually, during the filming of it and during the, those two years, I was really loving the project and I went into RTE and I looked up Ballymun in the RTE archives and so much of what's there is negative, you know, from the 80s and the 70s. And the whenever the RTE news um, reports were wanted to depict uh, social disadvantage, the towers were a very easy image to use. Yeah. and. But what I was feeling out there was very different, a wonderful sense of community. I was just loving going out there and I felt very driven to express that for the, the film to be something different to all these images that I've been seeing, you know. And I got great help from the Ballymun community as well. Great, you know, uh, it was for, in terms of archive footage. So I, I managed to find a lot of wonderful archive footage in Ballymun that countered the, the negative Im imagery. You and know. it's so important because in some ways it is an archive of a place and time and a people, but it brings you very close to working with young people, not as actors, but as participants. And I suppose that becomes quite important in everything that happens after it, in that like the characters in Ballymanala by those teenagers who are now all, you know, probably all late twenties, mm. you know, they're, wonderful young people and, and they shine through it. And I'm interested in the sense that you must have had as a teacher, you were used to bringing out the best in people in looking for how you motivated or sparked interest. But that presumably in getting those performances, because sometimes while it's a documentary, there are performances that you get from young people across the, the whole story, that that was something that leads you into the next projects, including the next project in Tala, which deals mm. with suicide in I Used to Live Here. Yes. When you're working on a film like um, Bad and Lullaby and I Used to Live Here, where there's young people and you're there as the filmmaker, the process for me is similar, you know, which is to allow them to be at their best by making them as comfortable as, as they can be. And if they trust you 
and they understand exactly what they're in and they're not fearful of being embarrassed or humiliated or any of those uh, feelings that you would have when you're young. Yes. Then when you put a camera on them, be it a drama or a documentary, you're allowing them to be their best. And that's what I try and do. I try to create that environment just by establishing trust, really. So when we're walking the streets of of Ballymun during Ballymun Lullaby, we did the interviews out in the community while while the young people were walking around, that there was a sense that they could express themselves and, and say things and not have to just repeat what they said in their head an hour ago, that they're actually just talking to you. And they know that if what they're saying is not really making sense or whatever, that you won't use it. Do you know, there's Trust just, you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And for, I used to live here, it was, it was the very same, you know. It's more difficult in drama to do that, but the process or the, 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 the aim is the same. You want to work with young people who feel that way about acting and, what I, I do the same thing. I just completely honest all the time about what we're doing, what the intentions are, and there's no shortcut. You know, over time they get to know you, and it just uh, evolves th- that way. But it's time is is the key factor. So in I used to live here, and Michael inside, you've worked with young people who are emerging in acting but it's their first role in that, like, that you're shaping them. So Jordan Jones in I Used to Live Here, who in a sense comes to the fore in that film, which is really dealing with youth suicide, people affected by it, and anchored if it's in a place in Tala. But that idea of working with young people who aren't fully formed as actors, who Mm. aren't known, is also a way, I would guess, to keep it as real as possible. Yes, it is. The idea initially wasn't that if I cast the film with non-professionals, it'll be more real and we'll have a more, we'll have this great social realist drama. How great would that be? It's, you know, it was actually more to do with the, with the subject. At the very beginning, when I read Tony Bates's article in the Irish Times, it really impacted on me. Which was around youth mental health and suicide. Yeah, it was called Breaking the Ripple Effects of Suicide. So it was about um, how when a a suicide tragedy takes place in a community, how it can affect other young people who who may be in their own crisis and and are looking at the outpouring of love. And it's about suicide ideation, how how the idea, statistically, you're more likely for the idea to cross your mind. If someone in school... Someone you love. Yes, someone you... Or even even if somebody who you know to see in the distance... I just made a Ballyman Lullaby two years with the community. I wanted to, to do that again. So maybe to answer your earlier question, I kind of found myself with this model of filmmaking where I was just a, a, a filmmaker and a community group. I wanted to do that, that, that again, and it just happened organically, but I felt it was like a bigger version of those smaller community projects. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. They're, they're on a bigger, uh, and so when I started I Used to Live Here, it wasn't necessarily a drama at the beginning. I wasn't quite sure what it would be. All I, all I was sure of was that, that this the is subject. something... Yeah, this is something that people need to know, know about. We need to be vigilant about this. You know, and I'm maybe thinking as a teacher, you know, somebody in, in your school dies by suicide, you know, just to really look around, you know, take a hard look at, that, at the people who vulnerable. knew that person who, who may be vulnerable. That was the reason for me to make the film. And then when I approached Tony uh, and Headstrong, now Jigsaw, 
uh, I spent a year just going in and out of Headstrong and, and, uh, thinking, and again, researching listening. it and listening, I researching it. So well. Yeah, listening absolutely is the key. So I just drove out there. Didn't I ended up making I used to live here with a bunch of people. I didn't know anybody beforehand, not one, I mean, one person actually I knew uh, before, but I didn't know any, anybody else. And we sat down and I've made friends for life there. I was out there a couple of weeks ago. I, 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 uh, uh, we went through this amazing experience together. But the idea was that it just evolved and it, it dawned on me that the film should be an expression from this building. So from this one community centre under this one roof, let's cast it from here. So I started just doing workshops and going down to the youth nights, to the drop-ins and getting to know the young people. And I had strict rules, you know, that because I was aware, I was so aware that there was vulnerable people around me. Like there's danger zones. Danger zones. And then if, if someone says, is Frank coming down on Tuesday night? And if you say, yeah, I'll, I'll be there and you're not there. So I was absolutely really committed, really. So and then I, during the midterm break, I did camera workshops. And as time went by, I was no longer Frank, the filmmaker. I was almost like, was you Frank. know, Frank, really. You know, yeah. And and um, again, the more time any any kind of filmmakers out there listening and young, young filmmakers out there listening, I just the key thing is always time for me as time goes by. I got an awful lot of slagging at the beginning from some some lads and and uh, and then as time goes by, you're there a year later, and all of a sudden they're 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 coming into a workshop and pulling up a chair, you know, and you really feel like you've earned something, and also you're in a position where you can actually make a, an impact on somebody who never would have crossed the threshold, you know, which ever. is the teacher in you again. Maybe, yeah, yeah. That that moment of encounter with the other person yeah. when something can turn. Yes, yes, absolutely, absolutely, you know. And, and during that time, I did see the opposite. You know, I saw young people who would have seen themselves as my right-hand person, you know, and uh, uh, holding the boom mic, following me around, really interested in, in the project and talking to people about it and be very proud about being able to inform others what's going on. You know, I would always make a great effort to remember everybody's first name. You know, that was a big thing in the car at the end of the day. I would write down, OK, chap with the Adidas tracksuit and the red hair is this name, person's name. And, that, you know, and, um, and just get people around you. But then what happens is, you know, you start to see some distancing. And that, that again comes with time. And uh, you, we talk, I talk about it with the youth workers and, and you see the influence that some people have in the community, you know, uh, on other young people. And they have more of an influence on a young person than a youth worker, a teacher and parent very often. And I was around that time I got the idea for, for, for Michael Inside. Inside. Because Love Hate was a big show at the time. I'm not denigrating it at all. It's a very popular show and hugely successful, you know. But it, it's not the only story is what I was thinking. You know, there's another story here. There's a story about people who don't want to be criminals, who are drawn into criminal activity due to the circumstances of the environment that they're growing up in, you know. I mean, Michael Inside deals with a system which doesn't have any silver lining or hope. There are good people in it, there's a good teacher, there are individuals who appear to be trying their best as a lovely granddad, but the system is geared towards sucking that young fella, Michael, into the mire. And, and in that sense, it does seem when you watch it that it's like the lack of hope in it is also you saying to us, like, we can't really doctor this, lads. 
it's not something where I can give you um, a happy ending. Yes. Was that difficult? Because, you know, you're somebody in a sense who probably wants to see the outcome being that we can see a path out of that. But Michael inside leaves you with that sense where when you leave the, the cinema, not only do you feel desolate and despair, but you should feel bloody angry. Mm. Yeah, the film could never have ended any other way. You know, again, spending 18 months with former prisoners, they sit in front of you and you see broken people, you know, and you see people that are trying, but there's a real heartache in listening to their stories. And I mean, somebody said to me once, we were talking about some of the more kind of vicious characters in the film. And I, I knew I was speaking to somebody who could identify with doing those things. And he, he said to me once, Frank, I've been locked up since I was 11, you know. So, you know, you're confronted with that and you, 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 you think about that. And then as time goes by, you get to know the person. And there's a story behind every, every single prisoner. And of course, there's bad people in the world. This is not a film that says, you know, that people do bad things. And uh, this film is not trying to let those, them off the hook. But there's a lot of people like Michael in prison. A lot of people that I met were, most of them were in prison for drugs offences, you know. And coming from similar backgrounds, I mean, it's something that was said yeah. maybe 20 years ago by Peter McFerry, that, that yeah. you know, he could go into a, a christening in, in parishes and almost predict with terrifying accuracy where that kid might be in 18, 20 years time. Mm. And I guess like drugs, inner city, suburban crime. I mean, these things haven't changed dramatically mm. over this period, but that in watching Michael inside, what also comes home is how little thinking we've done about crime and punishment in Ireland. Like uh, I remember decades ago in, in 1990, 1991, I was on a fellowship, journalist fellowship in Paris and we did a crime and punishment stage so we, we all went to look at prison systems and I, I, I of course picked um, the Scandinavian countries because how else would you ever go to see them since they're so expensive. <laughs> but like I remember in 91 seeing the prison systems in, in Denmark, Sweden and Norway and just being unable to comprehend how at sea we were with those ideas. We haven't changed since then and like I mean you can't, I remember coming back and writing about it but in watching what you're depicting and what we know and the research is there is that there are some aspects where things have changed and some projects which evoke change, but we still tend to have such a closed down view mm -hmm. of um, custodial as being the way in which we create, as the judge in your film says, like mm -hmm. she wants to create a sharp shock for a young lad who's yeah. going astray. Yes, yes. All those words came from former prisoners, so they're you know, the aim is to try and uh, put as much of what I heard into the film as possible, you know. The film exists because of a willingness from the prison service to engage in an arts project. And the film is screening in prisons and in, in lots of different educational contexts, which I think is, is, is a good thing. I totally agree with you. I think it's, you know, it's the political will that is needed to change. And it just seems like uh, such a huge undertaking. Do we really want to do it, you know? and. I've met some really great people working in the prison service and I've gone to open days and, and it's really exciting actually, just the people are really passionate about social change and you know, drug-free prisons and, and, and ideas and there are genuinely great people working in the prison service to try and, and, and make change. But from our perspective, sitting here, thinking about the prison system, 
it just seems like such a huge task. Or the political will to see that change happening. I think that's the key. That's the key for me is the, is the political will to see it happen. And uh, the people drawn to this work are working in the prison service, have, have, have the talent and the ideas. I think it's really about the, the uh, implementation and just, just the, that type of thinking. I'm curious how your ideas changed in doing this, because we all start from a point of view and we might even have an opinion. And then we can be pushed outside of our comfort zone mm. to really figure out oh, should we decriminalise drugs? Should we end up having a different form of custodial or prisons? Should we actually use prison less? How do we create justice? How do we create different opportunities? Like the ways in which we think about it often requires us then to almost challenge the way we think about society as well. I mean, has it, did it change as you went through that, some of the thoughts you had about how the system works? Whenever I start a project, I have kind of general understanding of it from what I would read in the papers and the news and then generally speaking what tends to happen is that my feelings about the unfairness of the project only just get more and more compounded and I learn more and more and more about the system and it generally goes that direction. You that know, you become learned, more radical. Yeah, yeah in a way or oh, it just it humanizes it. Is, is, is really is the key. So it's... it's that's it's, a word you use a lot. So yeah. in a sense, like to, to put perspective on that, that what you would see often as your role is to humanise the yeah. characters in any of the stories we're talking about. Absolutely. I think to avoid us putting like, they're druggies, yeah. they're prisoners, they're yeah. criminals, or they're, you know, God, scumbags. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. For example, somebody who... who uh, uh, who's gone to prison in Ireland, it, that, that sentence is never forgotten, you know. So there's a number of things that they can't do when they... So, you know, they can't go to America and uh, it's very difficult to get a mortgage. And uh, so you read that and, and, you know, that goes in and you, that, that's pretty unfair. But when you're sitting in front of someone that you know who has two MAs, who just really wants to be a teacher and whose crime is long, long in, in, in the past, you do feel that they're being unfairly treated, really, that there's everyone deserves a second chance. So the humanising of a lot of things that, that you would read is very, very kind of powerful. And actually filmmaking can do that. Filmmaking is, is a powerful art form, really, and it can put you in the life for a while of somebody and ask to, to consider uh, their experiences. A lot of reviewers have said it, and obviously Michael Inside has won lots of awards. It, it's had incredible exposure, not just in Ireland, but internationally. It's been a game changer, I would say, and assume for you. But, but a lot of people, quite rightly, when they've written about it in reviews, have talked about it as a film about class. Mm. And in some ways, that's also a theme that comes from your work, which is why almost when we start and I ask, where was your roots in that, in talking about this, that the stories that you're humanising are stories of mm. class. Yeah, yeah, it's true. And is that something that in a sense, like I know as we go into talking about what you're doing next and your future projects, is that something you think that's at the core or just that you are attracted to those who are the outsiders? Yeah, it, it never feels like a, a kind of a conscious thought of going in a certain direction. I could feel uh, just as empathic for 
a middle class person, young person in crisis getting bullied on social media or whatever, you know, so it's an emotional response to something. And so it's not a a preoccupation with class, really. But I mean, it was a life changing experience making I used to live here in in Tala in, in, in so many ways. It was a very, very emotional and I got to know fantastic young people and it was actually working with those young people that drew me to uh, Michael inside. They so inspired you? They all totally inspired me and I wanted to make a film in a way for them. You're now immersed in other projects and I think the next thing we'll see from you is, is a project that comes out of direct provision and people yeah. living in direct provision in Ireland. A love story, I think. Yes, yes, of sorts. I've been working on it since January 2017, actually. Uh, It's been working with a a number of uh, really great uh, groups, uh, you know, uh, um, members of of Massey, um, Migrants and Seekers Ireland, and uh, uh, ENR, which is the European Network Against Racism, have been really very helpful to me. Um, So, again, I'm doing a lot of talking, a lot lot of listening. The idea is that the film is uh, an expression of, of real lives, you know. You know, the story of direct provision is a story of oppression. It's a story of deportation, the threat of deportation. And it's the result of government policy. And, you know, so the film, there's nothing really very sensational in the film. It basically looks at the real world implications of government policy. So the drama is based around direct provision as a system and what that system entails, the human uh, cost of that. And I guess no more than you've done with your other projects that involved you listening to a lot of people, yeah. hearing witness and becoming part of communities yeah. who are living in those kind of centres, whether in Dublin or outside of Dublin. Yeah, it's a case of getting to know people and it's very similar. Again, it's about time and listening. It's not easy to get into the centres, so very often I would meet people elsewhere. But it's about developing relationships and the subject really, really needs a kind of a, a national primetime investigates type of story, you know, a, a treatment, you know, like, why don't we have a two part, two hour documentary about direct provision and you put up on, on the screen, you know, how is it funded, who's getting what, um, talk to people about it. And over the last uh, year and a half, I've been working on it, so many people don't know what direct provision is. I mean, it's, it's getting more now, a lot more has been, has been said, uh, about, a lot more has been written about it, but still, with the actual uh, responsibility, I feel, of public service broadcasters actually just to be really straight up, you know, proper public service broadcasting is not afraid to challenge power, you know, and... Speak uh, truth to power. Yeah, yeah. And in some ways, you mentioned earlier love-hate and how the piece that you made was not a reaction to it, but it comes from a very different place in terms of Michael inside. Mm-hmm. Uh, not the high points of drama with all the, these big characters and, and playing almost to it. And in direct provision, we've now had this drama w- which has garnished a lot of attention and taken down. And I'm wondering whether you see that as again being a love-hate approach to direct provision and what you're doing is telling a story from the corner of the room. There are different types of storytelling and uh, I, I'm, I don't uh, want to denigrate either. I feel that TV drama is very different. And so 
I, th I commend them for setting their drama in direct provision to discussion is better than no discussion and it's better than the way it was before. I wouldn't be critical of that. I think it's just, it's a very, very love-hate, very successful, well-made um, TV dramas, you know, but there needs to be a more diverse ways of, of looking at these as issues. As well as you say, the factual storytelling of just continually bringing us into the reality of it. The direct provision film coming out presumably next year or sometime. Hopefully, hopefully making it next year. You never so know. About 2020. If it, if it ha yeah, yeah, perhaps. Always a struggle to get anything made. Yeah. But yeah. within your ambitions, like you, you talk so much of the reward you get from the making, from the process, from being with communities, from having those relationships, you can hear in a sense where your sense of return and value comes from it. But in, in making the films and the outcomes, what for you is the happy point? I mean, I don't think and I've never sort of got the sense that it's probably the awards, though they help presumably help with funding and moving things to the next stage on the next project. But for you, what's the goal when, when you make a film, particularly, say, like Michael Inside? Well, well, the goal is to make something that I can live with, that I feel is good, driven as well by an artistic drive to actually be good at something and make something well, but also to, to have the central point that I'm trying to put across to really have that kind of clear and to make something that has some kind of purpose, really, you know. But it's inter interesting what you say about... Is it to educate or to change? Um, it's, it's a little bit of both, really. The first thing I do when I finish the film is I want the people who I've made it with to tell me that it's what they'd hoped it would be. That's the only way I, I can really describe it. Uh, I really want that. And throughout the process of the film, we, all, we do a lot of talking about how will this impact uh, on the audience. And um, we all are hopes about it um, being a moving film. Uh, asking people to maybe be a bit more empathic sometimes towards people that maybe they, they may not look at uh, with any kind of degree of interest. So that's something that, that, that drives the participation from the, from the, the for example, Michael Inside from the former prisoners, was that maybe something might go into the film that they've said that will make a difference and that is meaningful to them. So that I, gear might change. I want them to feel uh, proud of it. So, that they were heard, which goes right back to what you did in the early films before Ballymun. Yeah, I. yeah. I really enjoy the making of them. I, I, I enjoy the working with people and getting to know people. I love that part and I love the, the filmmaking and right up to the post-production. But after, after that, it's just, it's, it is a lot of anxiety and, and uh, a lot of kind of attention and, and uh, I don't enjoy that as much, although it's nice when the film is received well, absolutely. And uh, but the the making of it is is where your joy is. is is lovely. But you see, there's something very tangibly, there's something very tangible about that, where the film is getting better all the time. You know, like always getting better, and then so every day, you know, it's it's moving further, and there's just there's just a satisfaction in that. You know, so it's becoming so, real. Yeah, and it's becoming real, and it's you're getting closer, and there's a real purpose. I think just to to pause on the writing, there's a real difference in making a documentary or in, in creating something which is ultimately 100% factually bound and creating a script, which is a drama, mm. and which, which is dealing with those forms of art as well. So for you, that's also been a progression into becoming a drama writer mm. and not 
solely a director. Mm. I mean, has that been an interesting development to really end up in how you create a character who may be somebody you've met or you've witnessed mm. and it's the inspiration, but they have to become somebody, an actor mm. that another person has to realise. So mm. it's a different form of writing and a different form of writer that you've become. Yeah. I don't think about myself, even, even though I'm writing every day, but I don't see myself as that type of writer. I see myself as somebody who goes out into the world and tries to bring back things to write about uh, and to put into the script. And actually, you know, inevitably you're going to be a writer. You have to write dialogue and you have to structure and shape the, the and create the characters and all of that. But I mean, if I can come up with a line that's a great line and I have something else in my mind that someone has said to me that's not quite, not quite, I'd rather put that in. So a lot of the dialogue in the court scenes and an awful lot of dialogue in Michael's side, side came directly from people and like that. And drama um, gives you the freedom to create a structure which in some ways documentary doesn't. Yeah, they say uh, drama can be true and documentary can be a lie. I like that, you know. But I like the fact that you can create a fictional world but it can have truth, you know. Uh, that can be quite, quite powerful. And I was saying earlier that I'm assuming and observing that there is a game changer in Michael Inside for you as a filmmaker because it has given you a different platform and different attention. Will that make it, do you think, easier to make your next projects? You would hope so. And as I said, I'm still uh, in development with it, so we haven't started the process of trying to raise funding for it yet or any of that. You know, I, I very much hope so. I, I'm not really driven to try and make the films bigger although that would be nice in a way, I guess, but I just would like to be able to make the films comfortably. And I'd like to be prolific. And pay the bills. Yeah, yeah, pay the That's bills. That's always good. Yes, absolutely. But I'd like to be prolific at this particular point. And I don't want to be held up for five years trying to raise a big budget, you know. And the films don't need that scale of budget. So I'd like just to, to keep going the way I'm going and to make the films I want to make. And realistically, what did it cost, can you say, to make Michael Inside? I think it was around 600,000, yeah. Which in the scale of, say, television, ain't much. No. And they make TV dramas. So in a sense, as you say, to make what you need to do, time and the ability to pay attention, how does that balance now with teaching? Because I think from your perspective, teaching while you love it is somewhat on the back boiler. Well, yeah, I've taken a sabbatical just for this next film, and it, already I feel like I could never have written, you know, the script where it's at now any other way, really. So I hope to always be a teacher. It's just something I know. Vo In your nature. Yeah, I know vocation is an old fashioned word, but it's there's something about seeing uh, young people that remind me of myself or something. I don't know. But and it, that moment when somebody believed in you. Yeah, maybe. But I, I just love it, actually. I love just I teach filmmaking, so it's, it's a subject that I'm passionate about and I'll always be a teacher, I think. And do you have that sense when you see some of your former pupils making great things that there's kind of a shared pride in it? Absolutely. I, I, I love that. You know, like I took a student with me through the making of Michael Inside right from pre-production into the, all the meetings every day of the shoot into the edit suite. A very, very talented young man, Aaron Stapleton. And I love witnessing young people learning how to use the grammar of, of filmmaking, talking to them about the possibilities. And it's quite easy to learn actually shots and 
it's very simple, it's not a lot of them. It's just exciting to talk to them about, well, with this new grammar, what are you going to say? Or what type of filmmaker would you like to be? You only ever learn that once, you know, it's nice to, to be around for that and to see people develop. And their, their vision and their voice emerging. Yeah. And I guess, as I say, you know, you've a film in process. Are there other themes? These are stories which are all driven and coming out of this damp little island we live on and predominantly this this damp little city and county that we're, we're living in. Do you have a sense that beyond this phase that you want to make and tell stories which are from a bigger landscape or do you find Ireland is quite enough? I, I generally take one subject at a time. I mean, some filmmakers have slates, a lot of them, most of them have slates. I don't really have that. I have ideas burning away or bubbling away in the background. Um, and, you know, one thing I learned from uh, Ballyman Lullaby was that you, it was a very small story. And around that time, the word community in relation to filmmaking wasn't particularly cool. But by telling a small story of a community that it echoes and that it has universal appeal and that other territories and countries and, and cultures can relate to it, you know. Like I love seeing uh, films uh, that feel very local from other places in, in the world and identifying with them, you know. Uh, so it's led very much by the content, not so much about a career really, it's just about, you know, what would I like to tackle next really, you know, what, what am I drawn to? Is, is well, Frank Berry, thank you so much. We look forward to those films and that vision getting bigger and better in your perspective. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you very much, Alan.